Before we get into this week's episode, I'd like to ask for a brief moment of your time. We are conducting a survey of our listeners to find out a bit more about who's enjoying the show, the content you'd like more of, and where you think Deep Dive could do better in the future. If you can spare a moment, please visit jtimes.jp dd and let us know your thoughts. That's jtimes.jp dd. And the link is in the episode notes. Thank you very much. From the offices of the Japan Times in Typhoon Strewn, Tokyo, I'm Oscar Boyd, and you're listening to Deep Dive. While the world stews over the trade war between the USA and China, and the potential of a no-deal exit of the United Kingdom from the European Union, here in Japan, a separate storm is brewing. Not the typhoon, but a growing trade dispute between Japan and its geographical neighbour, South Korea. It is not the first time that relationships have soured between the two countries, but it is the most significant escalation of tensions in recent years, with Japan increasing its controls on key exports to South Korea, and South Korea withdrawing from Jisomir, the two countries' joint intelligence sharing agreement. Joining me today to discuss the issue is the Japan Times' business reporter, Satoshi Sugiyama, who's been covering the story as it's developed over the summer. Satoshi, thank you so much for joining me today. It's nice to be here. Satoshi, this story really kicked off over the summer, which is why you've been following it so closely. But could you start by letting us know where this dispute between Japan and South Korea really began? Well, I think it's safe to describe uh, Japan-South Korea relationship as being rocky, tumultuous for some time now. But to answer that question properly, we've got to go back almost a century. It dates back to Japan's occupation of Korean Peninsula uh, between 1910 and 1945, you know, and uh, historical issues have been sticking points for both countries for decades after the war. Japanese Empire. Here in the new palace, amid the regal splendor of a departed era, the former king of Korea lives on the bounty of his Japanese... What kinds of issues arose from Japan's occupation of South Korea? Well, a number of issues arose from the occupation, including that of comfort women, which is uh, the women used to provide sex to Japanese troops during World War II. But the use of wartime labor issue is what sparked uh, recent deterioration of the bilateral relations. Japan, way back when, um, brought in this huge, massive number of male workers from the Korean Peninsula um, from 1939 to 1945. And at the time, Japan was facing this very acute labor shortage because of the Sino-Japanese War and World War II. The exact number of the workers are unknown, but in one theory, uh, it was estimated about 700,000 to 800,000 workers uh, were brought to work for companies uh, such as Mitsubishi in factories and coal mines in Japan. Hashima Island, one of dozens of controversial sites Japan has pushed to gain UNESCO World Heritage recognition. A proud symbol of Japan's rapid industrialization, but contrary to the... And after the Japanese occupation of South Korea ended following World War II, um, South Korea demanded compensations uh, for laborers who were claiming that they were forced to work in Japan under extremely harsh conditions. And following World War II, did Japan agree to these demands from South Korea to compensate 
the workers that it used. So after years of negotiations, in 1965, Tokyo and Seoul kind of reached a deal to resolve post-colonial compensation issues. Mm -hmm. Um, It did actually address the issue of wartime laborers. And this deal was also an important economic cooperation pact uh, that was part of the treaty to normalize post-war relations between the two countries. As part of that deal, what did both countries agree to? So in the agreement, uh, Japan agreed to provide this massive aid, $500 million, which is 1.5 or 1.6 times larger than South Korean national budget at the time. South Korea, in return, uh, was obliged to use the funds to pay any compensation money to individual wartime laborers. Bear in mind that South Korea at the time was extremely poor, so the country desperately wanted an economic aid to rebuild itself. And with the conclusion of the agreement, both countries agreed to put this in the rearview mirror. Am I right in saying then that with the conclusion of these talks between Tokyo and Seoul, that was effectively the end of this issue? Well, so in some ways, yes. Uh, while it's true that many South Korean workers continue to demand direct compensation from the Japanese government, it's important to keep in mind that all the previous South Korean administrations have agreed that the issue of wartime labor was legally settled in this 1965 deal. But that all changed last year. Now, after more than 70 years since the colonization came to an end, a final Supreme Court ruling on... Easy relations between South Korea and Japan have suffered another blow. Tokyo is outraged at a court ruling. Seoul expressed deep regrets over how Tokyo continues to make inappropriate comments on the nation's Supreme Court's ruling that Japanese... What changed in the relationship between Japan and South Korea last year that was so significant? And how has that got us to where we are today? So last October, the South Korean Supreme Court ordered Japanese company Nippon Steel and Sumitomo Metal Corporation to pay about 40 million yen or 375,000 US dollars in compensation to four South Korean wartime laborers. And the court said that the 1965 pact didn't exclude these wartime laborers' individual rights to demand, and I quote, consolation money for their suffering under Japan's colonial rule. And the court determined the colonial rule was illegal. So that's a huge departure from the previous rhetoric that the South Korean government applied towards this issue. Exactly. And how did Japan respond? Well, initially, Japan strongly objected to the court ruling. Uh, Japanese officials are adamant that they won't budge in this issue because if they did, it could reignite this entire compensation issues with other countries over World War II, which effectively opens a Pandora's box. But then, this July, Japan really stepped up its response. How so? Well, think of South Korea's best-known producers, Samsung, LG, semiconductor company, SK, Hynix, Incorporation. You know, they are all major electronic manufacturers. And then they rely on very specific chemicals to produce their products. Mm-hmm. 
and it was these chemicals that Japan targeted. South Korea says it intends to lodge a complaint to the World Trade Organization after Japan imposed restrictions on high-tech exports to the so country. So on July 1st, the Japanese Trade Ministry announced that it is going to tighten screenings of three chemicals exported to South Korea. They are fluorinated polyamide, resists, and hydrogen fluoride. These are chemicals used to produce TV and smartphone screens and semiconductors. And they are all critical to South Korean industries. Mm -hmm. South Korea also heavily depend on imports from Japan uh, when it comes to those three chemicals. So, for example, uh, when it comes to semiconductor manufacturing in South Korea, Japan exports a significant share of the hydrogen fluoride used in the process. And how did Japan go about tightening the controls on these exports to South Korea? So, it used to be that the trade ministry authorizes export licenses that are valid for three-year periods. But under the new rule, which went into effect on July 4th, a Japanese exporter must apply for a license for every single contract to export those three chemicals to South Korea. Under this new measure, applying for these licenses could take about 90 days. So this is potentially a huge increase in the trade friction between the two countries. Exactly. And Japan further downgraded its trade status with South Korea on August 28th. What it means is that exports to South Korea on a diverse range of materials that could be used to make weapons have to go through additional and stricter screenings. Hood and lumber are excluded, but this is a significant tightening of export controls to South Korea. This tightening of export controls has the potential to have a huge impact on South Korea's economy. So how did South Korea respond in turn? Well, South Korea was outraged. Uh, South Korea says it's intending to lodge a complaint against Japan at the World Trade Organization and decided to downgrade its trade status with Japan. The country argues that Japanese actions are an act of retaliation for the Supreme Court decisions. And South Korean President Moon Jae-in has bashed Japan for what he described as a reckless and selfish decision. Additionally, South Korea said that the Japanese measures would disrupt global supply chain and cause chaos in the global economy. So the country brought the issue up at international trade conferences and appealed to the United States in a bid to gain sympathy. I am compelled to draw your attention to the decision made by Japan just this morning to remove my country from its list of trading partners that receive comprehensive export preferential treatment. And this in a very unilateral and arbitrary manner. How did Japan justify the export controls then, if not as a retaliation to South Korea's Supreme Court ruling last year? Well, Japanese Trade Minister Hiroshige Seko says that it is neither an embargo nor a regulation. He says that downgrading means exports to South Korea are treated the same way as exports to countries belonging in the ASEAN. So it is not a sole measure against South Korea. 
And yet South Korea is the only country that Japan has removed from its so-called white list of trusted trade partners. Exactly. Government talking points are this. Um, there's this dialogue between export control officials that had not been held for years despite multiple requests from the Japanese side. But the trade ministry officials say that dialogue not being held between the two countries is part of breach of trust and it found unspecified inappropriate incidents on South Korean part which is undermining Japanese national security. Looking at this trade dispute between Japan and South Korea, it seems to follow very closely the ongoing trade war between the USA and China. Do you think Japan here is taking a leaf out of the US's book and following Donald Trump's lead? Well, I certainly can see the argument. Um, both US and Japan cite national security as their grounds to justify their actions. But at the same time, I think comparing those two is oversimplification. Bear in mind that US imposed a series of tariffs on goods imported from China, whereas Japan's action is limited to export control. Trade war between United States and China and the matter of export control between South Korea and Japan are on a different scale. Now, perhaps choosing its words carefully as all the related players continue to digest this huge news, the United States has expressed its disappointment and One concern. of the most significant developments from this ongoing spat between the two countries, though, is South Korea's decision to withdraw from the Jisomia Intelligence Agreement. Could you tell us a bit more about what Jisomia is and why South Korea has taken this decision? The Jisomia is an agreement between Japan and South Korea to exchange sensitive information on primarily missile threats from North Korea. It was signed in 2016 and gets renewed automatically unless one of the countries decides to pull the plug. And in this case, South Korea did. Exactly. This caught everyone off guard. Um, South Korea was threatening to revoke it, but many officials didn't take the threats seriously. So late August, South Korean government announced that it had decided not to renew the pact and let it expire in November. So officials justified that Japanese export control measures caused this significant change in security cooperation and the intelligence sharing pact, they said, no longer meets the country's national interests. Mm -hmm. While U.S. had been encouraging the two sides to come together and resolve their differences. We're disappointed to see the decision that the South Koreans made about that information sharing agreement. Uh, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo expressed disappointment and this unnamed State Department official was quoted by South Korean news agency Yonhap that U.S. had repeatedly warned South Korean President Moon that nullifying the GSOMIA would undermine both U.S. and its allies' national interests. So in this scenario, we see a historical and then economic dispute um, spilling out into issues of national and regional security. Right. And this person 
State Department also criticized Moon for not correctly understanding security challenges in Northeast Asia. So what are the actual consequences of scrapping GSOMIA? Well, the GSOMIA enabled Japan, US, and South Korea to share intelligence smoothly, and in particular in regards to the tracking of ballistic missiles from North Korea. Japan and the United States have requested an urgent meeting of the UN Security Council later today after North Korea fired a missile that flew over Japan. If terminated, uh, it may be difficult to get a comprehensive picture of the trajectory of these missiles. And the GSOMIA was a symbol of regional military cooperation, which facilitated various exchanges between the two countries. My colleagues Jesse Johnson and Reiji Yoshida talked to defense experts shortly after the decision to scrap the pact. And these experts told them that South Korea's exit is a significant loss to trilateral relations between Japan, South Korea, and the United States. We've seen Japan increasing its controls on exports to South Korea. We've seen South Korea leave the GSOMIA intelligence sharing agreement. But what are the more everyday impacts of this dispute between the two countries? Well, there are a number of things. Um, Japanese and South Korean airlines have scaled back their flights to each other's countries due to reduced demand from passengers. Mm -hmm. Exchange programs between Japanese and South Korean municipalities have been suspended. And it's being reported that Japanese jobs for South Korean graduates have dried up amid political and economic growth. It also extends to K-pop and other forms of culture. South Korean groups set to play in Japan have been branded by their fans as betraying their own country. We've also seen the postponement of Japanese film releases in South Korea. It's even affected drinks markets, too. Um, South Korean beer imports from Japan have tanked by 97% in August from a year earlier. So, Satoshi, it's been a long summer of increased friction between the two countries. I wonder, what do you think's next and where do we go from here? Well, in a nutshell, there's no sign of this ending anytime soon. And I expect to see more headlines on the issue over coming months. This dispute has certainly rattled regional stability. Scrapping GSOMIA was definitely a win for North Korea, and it might have been a possible win for China as well. The U.S. is worried that two of its closest allies in Asia are not only bickering rhetorically as they have done in the past, but now also taking actions that could undermine regional security altogether. You know, no one thought that South Korea would go ahead with its threats to pull out the GSOMIA. But the fact is, it did that in this latest escalation of the dispute. And that shows, right now, nothing is off limits. Well, Satoshi, thank you very much for joining me in the studio today. It's a great pleasure. You've been listening to Deep Dive with me, Oscar Boyd. Our guest this week was Satoshi Sugiyama. You can read all his excellent coverage of this issue on the Japan Times website. 
Before you go, I'd like to ask for a brief moment of your time. We are conducting a survey of our listeners to find out a bit more about who's enjoying the show, the content you'd like more of, and where you think Deep Dive could do better in the future. If you can spare a moment, please visit jtimes.jp dd and let us know your thoughts. That's jtimes.jp dd and the link is in the episode notes. You can find more episodes like this one and subscribe to Deep Dive on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts. Until next time then, Pod Scary Summer.